0: Good afternoon. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Meet me in um, the book of Lamentations. I'm um, we can connect together in this moment, this way for those in person, those online. Um, like I said earlier, uh, there are our call to worship. The next two weeks are a dive into um, church hurt. And so uh, tomorrow is a Monday, this series, the, the reason for the series, it's been this this connection of the dots between the Christian faith to everyday life. And so we've been examining different, different themes and, and we've, we've reached this moment where now we need to examine the theme and the idea of church hurt, right? Um, and really, honestly, uh, the, the goal for this week and next is to just kind of give voice to the pain, uh, but not just voice to the pain that we felt at the hands of others, but prayerfully, provide a pathway for healing and, and hoping and flourishing and thriving again. Um, this week is more of a primer on pain. Church hurt specifically, no doubt, but a, but a primer on pain um, generally. The flow, the hope is to one, let's, let's, let's wrap our minds and our hearts around a definition regarding church hurt that we could own look at some of its causes, and then honestly offer some cautions for for us in the midst of pain, particularly if that's the space that you find yourself in right now, like there's a chaos that's attached um, to pain. Things just feel disorienting. There's a dissonance that you experience. It's hard to tell left from right, top from bottom, separate your feelings and your emotions, what's fact from fiction, all of that exists, and it's almost chaotic, and so there's some cautions. That I think we need to be aware of, and then we'll we'll move towards what the scriptures offer us, which is I think a tool for the tragedy. Right? It's 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 language for the sorrow, a tool for the tragedy that when we lean into, we're led towards healing and hope. And so that's that's the flow of our time is let's get a definition of this thing. Uh, let's get some cautions and then we'll 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 lean into this to this tool. a um, lot of front end work. Before we get to Lamentations uh, definition, let's build this thing out. Church hurt is something everybody everywhere is going to experience at some point in time in their life. There is no situation or circumstance where we will exit this life without experiencing church hurt. That doesn't exist for us. That's not your story. That's not my story. That is not anyone's story. All of us will experience pain at the hands of other people, particularly Christians. Just look at the makeup of our world. We live in a world that is... that is infused with beauty and brokenness there's a simplicity here there's a complexity in the world that we 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 live in we have moments of highs and triumph and we have some moments of deep lows and and sorrows there's pain because we live in a world that although it is glorious and good it is stained by sin and so all of us live in a world that is stained by sin where we're touched by tragedy and and misery and so it's not just sin in the nooks and crannies of our world it's sin in the nooks and crannies of our soul and so when that sin that is inside you and me comes out people will be hurt and so you have that dynamic but then you you take the the other reality that's it's pretty simple that if you live in america have you ever heard of that idea that's like there's seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon? And so you start with one person, you get to seven relationships, and they're eventually gonna be connected to Kevin Bacon? There's like 10 to 15 degrees of separation from Christianity. Like all you need is about 10 to 15 relationships, and you're going to run into a Christian. And if you are in the northeast or northwest, that may increase. It may be like 20 to 30 relationships. But if you're in the south, culturally or geographically, it's going to decrease significantly, which means there's a high likelihood that you are going to brush shoulders with a Christian, and that Christian is going to hurt you. This is the nature of the world that we live in. So everybody everywhere will experience some level of church hurt, and church hurt exists on a spectrum, and we kind of know that. But that's not really what we mean when we talk about church hurt. And so we're we're talking something a little bit more specific. It's something where there's a, a different degree of disappointment and woundedness. And the best definition that I could offer us regarding church hurt is this. Church hurt equals woundedness or disappointment that's tied to the actions or inactions of people in a church and or the leaders of a church that's a mouthful i promise i try to simplify could it Couldn't get any more that all right that's it church hurt equals woundedness or disappointment tied to the actions or inactions of a people in a church and or the leaders of a church now that could happen individually and institutionally. So individually, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. You you brush up against people in the church or leaders of the church, and, and there's pain that exists there. One of the most humbling, man, this is probably the you know, I was texting the guys, the pastors, some of our ministry leaders, I was like, this this message, man, I feel like there's a word for the Lord, but this is hard. One of the most humbling things to just be confronted with as a leader is the reality that you've hurt people. Like, and you're like, I didn't move to Miami to hurt anybody but it's just the nature of the beast. And, it, and so we, we know what happens individually. And I think we're familiar with institutional hurt, but let me, let me just give an example of that. Capital C Church, not local church alone, but Capital C Church, the institution of it, causes pain by what it does and what it doesn't do. So by and large, when you just, you look at the history of of the West particularly, there has been a significant amount of church hurt experienced by people in America particularly by the, the, the actions that the, institution, the institutional church has taken, whether it's policies that they have pursued or, or people that they have championed, the, the actions that they've taken that have just wreaked havoc on the lives of the vulnerable among us. But not only that, it's not just the institutional pain attached to actions, it's the institutional pain that's where it's like, yo, like, you got comfortable with the sidelines while people were suffering. Institutional pain to where you look at the church as a whole, you're like, the church is irrelevant or useless at best. Church hurt exists on a spectrum, and it happens individually and institutionally. But whether it's individual or institutional, there's some stuff at the core of church hurt. There's really two things at the core of all church hurt. Ideas and relationships. Ideas and relationships. The ideas part we may not see, but even now, there's, there's a lot of conversation around this, this sense that there's certain ideas inherent to Christianity that are harmful to people. And so, 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 so now the church is set up as this picture of pain just by virtue of the ideas she believes. And first of all, I'm sympathetic to that. And I think there's, there's some truth there. But, but conversationally, what, I, what I've noticed is it's not ideas alone. And the reason being, and if I could nudge us a little bit, the scriptures present ideas in compelling, provocative ways, you They're significant ideas. But the ideas that the scriptures present, even when they present them provocatively, the aim is the same, that these ideas would be bent towards human flourishing, that people would prosper in view of the ideas that the scriptures present. That people would flourish and God would be glorified. People would experience good and God would be glorified. And so conversationally, what I often find is it's not the ideas themselves per se. It's the way certain ideas have been distorted and weaponized by people. Which in turn leads to that second thing at the heart of all church hurt, relationships. Relationships. That it's not merely theory or abstract concepts that we're talking about. It is flesh and blood. It is eye to eye. It is real stories. It is pain attached to relationships. Listen to me. What that means is it's always personal. Always. Church hurt is always personal because it's always relational. So it's not this theoretic idea. Like No, this is You did something to me or this institution did something to me. And I just want to sit that on us. That if you've experienced that or you're currently experiencing that. I'm sorry personally. And God sees. More excellently, God sees. Now, there's some cautions that I do think I want to give us not to put a weight on us not to try and force us to action, but just to make us more aware. Because again, in the midst of pain, it could just be chaotic, man. And, and there's just some cautions that we need to be aware of in the midst of pain. And so if that's you right now, let me just shepherd us through some things we need to be cautious about. And if it's not you, at least give language so that you could see things that may be trapping people in significant pain. Let me run through these first caution be cautious of the allure and deceit of despair. In the midst of pain generally and church hurt specifically, be cautious of the allure and deceit of despair. Let me explain. Despair is the emptying of belief that better is possible and good can still be. It's this idea that the light of the, at the end of the tunnel is it actually an exit? It's a speeding train that I can't get out of. That's despair. And despair, when it's present, it has a way of shaping us in ways that we can't even imagine. I love zombie apocalypses. Walking Dead, one of my favorite shows, got weird, you know, It's trying to make a return, but it's too late. That ship has sailed. Now, I love him so much, Truth be told, I have an end-of-the-world zombie apocalypse list. It's a top 10 people that I'm going to get because they're going to increase the chances of survival. Over the last year, my wife made the list. She wasn't on it before because I'm a sinner of the worst kind. Praise God, I'm just being church. But what I've noticed in all zombie apocalypse is, is that you get to a point where food is scarce. And when food is scarce... Things that you wouldn't eat, they taste like chicken and filet mignon. So you're like, yo, this roach, my God, I'm tasting these juices. What is that? And it's every show. I know that's a little gross. Bear with me. Amen. But what I'm saying is that experience is what happens when despair is in your heart. Things taste differently. They become a little bit more attractive. There are options on the table that wouldn't be and probably shouldn't be if despair wasn't present. One of the hardest phone calls you could get in your life is when somebody calls you and they're calling you because the pills didn't work. So now they have to share that this failed suicide attempt was a cry for, But they would have never done that. In the midst of pain... We just need to be cautious of the allure and the deceit of despair. Next caution. We got to be cautious of rushing healing. And this is pretty self-explanatory, but we just need to be cautious of that, that we don't rush towards healing. Often when there's deep sadness that is seizing your soul, like the win, the win is I just need to get distance between my present life and this past pain. So any amount of days I could put between now and what was, that's the win. The problem is you end up wandering around, never really actually healing, and you're just trying to get beyond the pain, and there's just something better. Be cautious of rushing healing. This is where Lamentations is our friend. Next caution. Be cautious regarding delaying healing. Be cautious regarding delaying healing. Again, it's, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. The only, the only comment I have this, I was having a conversation with, with Crawford last week about just life and ministry. And one of the things we were talking about was just what we have noticed in terms of what it seems like the tendency for certain people to hold their healing hostage. Like to almost like drag out this moment of sadness and mistake activity for movement there's a difference there right so like maybe you're familiar with those rocking horses or those carts that would be outside of grocery stores you put 75 cents in and it's like an hour of play for the kids or whatever you know and there's a lot of activity in the same space and delayed healing looks like that where there's a lot of stuff happening, but there's no forward progress, and we just need to be cautious, not just of rushing healing, but delaying healing. Next caution, be cautious of misdiagnosis. Now misdiagnosis is both misdiagnosing the problem as well as misdiagnosing the solution. And we know if we misdiagnose the problem, chances are we're gonna misdiagnose the solution, but I wanna make that distinction because some of us have rightly identified the problem and the cause of the pain. We know who, when, and what they did. It is seared on our memory. But maybe we're misdiagnosing the solution. So maybe the solution to the person who has wronged you and and harmed you isn't I need to find a new church. Maybe the solution is I need to have a courageous conversation. Now, sometimes the solution is you need to find a new church. Even with the brook, you may need to find a new church. We are not the church for everybody. But we have to be conscious of the way we diagnose both problems and solutions. Tracking with me? Two more. Be cautious of counterfeit comfort. Be cautious of counterfeit comfort. Biblical comfort isn't just defined by the activity, it is defined by the trajectory. In other words, you can have activity that is traditionally associated with comfort or being comforting, but if it isn't in, in lockstep with this trajectory that the scriptures offer, which is healing and hope and strength, that is not actual comfort. Comfort is not merely the alleviation of pain. Comfort is the producing of wholeness. It's healing. And in the midst of, of tremendous deep pain, counterfeit comfort is always around the corner, especially if you have an addictive personality. We just don't want to feel this sadness anymore. So you will grab, I will, I will grab onto whatever will alleviate the pain. Last. Last. We all should be cautious regarding the bond of bitterness. Be cautious with the bond of bitterness. We all know that misery loves company. We know that. And there is, there's a, you know, I'm just burdened by what I've seen in our moment in time where I've watched people hijack the pain of others for profit and platform building. And it's like, we're just going to rally all of these disgruntled, hurting people together and build a name for ourselves. And it's like, what are you doing? Have the opportunity to counsel different ministry leaders, consult and church planners, And I'm like, God, my, my G, you do not need to plan a church. You need to go sit down somewhere because you know what you're going to do? You're going to start a church for disgruntled people, and they're going to come. Because hurt is attractive. We want to be around people who are hurting together. That is both the gift of the body and its shadow that we need to be aware of. Because we are meant to be a home where we could say, man, I'm just struggling. But in the midst of pain, we center something, someone, God. And so we just need to be aware of the bond of bitterness that exists in the midst of pain. And I say that not to put a weight on anybody, but just to wake us up to what might be happening in our world when when pain has seized our soul. Nevertheless, church hurt doesn't have to be the end of our story. And what God does is God, God offers a pattern and a pathway for the pain we're feeling, a tool for the tragedy, it's called lament. In the midst of deep pain, specifically church hurt, God says, here's a tool that could be super transformative, lament. And so the rest of our time is just looking at lament, what we could learn from it, the patterns of it. And then we'll close. Lamentations 3 is where we'll be. So let's read it and take it bit by bit. Just listen to the vivid language, yeah. Like, I'm already undone, man. Like, preaching first service, I was like, oh my gosh, having to read this again. But but guys, this is the humanity here. All of Lamentations. Chapter 3, verse 1 reads like this. I am the man who has seen affliction. I've seen it. Under the rod of God's wrath, he has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yes, he repeatedly turns his hand against me all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He's flayed me. I feel like I'm skinned alive. Nerves exposed. He has broken my bones. He has laid siege against me, encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains even when I cry out and plead for help. He blocks out my prayer. He has walled me in with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He forced me off my way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow and set me as the target of his arrow. He pierced my kidneys with shafts from his quiver, I am a laughingstock to all my people, mocked by their songs all day long. He's filled me with bitterness, satiated me with wormwood. He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought... My future is lost, as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them, so you should too, God. I have become depressed. Look at the pivot. Um, Look at the pivot. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Um. The entire book of Lamentations is sobering, stunning, and surprisingly a gift. It is the wisdom and kindness of God to insert Lamentations in what we call the Bible. A couple notes before we get to this pattern. This liturgy of lament. Couple of notes. The first is scholars and um, theologians—they all note this. God's voice in Lamentations is conspicuously absent. So, you have Jeremiah. I believe Jeremiah vividly describing his pain. Vividly. Identifying with sorrow and sadness, the language, it paints a picture. And God's present in it, but God's not actually talking. And so there's a conclusion that they draw for God's conspicuous absence or silence that I think is right. What they're saying is the conspicuous silence of God exists to center the voice of the sufferer. In other words, It's it's as if God is saying, just talk. You're sad? Life is hard? I'm listening. That lamentations is this powerful statement that there is a God who makes room for pain. Now, Here's why that matters, specifically with church hurt. With church hurt, what what happens is because God's people have, have hurt me, God has abandoned me as well. God's character is now in question because of people who claim him. Therefore, God, you don't actually have room for me. I don't matter to you. And what what Lamentation says is in the midst of of significant pain, there's a God who says, just share. I am censoring your voice and suffering, and I'm making room for your pain. That's just something that has been, like, given life to me. Another thought and it's actually one of the reasons why I believe we should lean into lament in all of life, but particularly when we're in pain, church hurt notwithstanding. Lament offers a window into our longings. Lament offers a window into our longings. Sometimes, again, you just, it's hard to make sense of the suffering, and I can't figure out left from right, up from, but all of that. What do I really want in the midst of it? And when we, when we lean into lament and its liturgy, its process, its pattern, we get a window to our longings. And so this is the end of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter five. So after all of this visceral pain, there's no suppression of sadness. Lamentations 521 is this, Lord, bring us back to yourself so we may return. Renew our days as in the former times. He's saying, essentially, God, I don't merely just want the circumstances to change. I want you. I need you. And that's powerful because what what this this is doing is this is giving us something better than just avoiding pain. Avoiding pain is a terrible substitute for pursuing joy and good. And when we let lament lead us what we get a window into is we actually have these great desires that God says, yeah, let's fulfill them. Another thing to note, um, actually it's the last thing to note before the pattern. This is actually an ongoing conversation me and Kyler have been having for the last several months um, at different moments at different times. And it's this picture, this idea, God paints of himself as the God Who knows when to say enough so this is Genesis God creates this beautiful world this announcement of blessing from the heavens and then he says yeah I'm done it's enough it's good this is Jesus where it says of Jesus' birth into this world at the right time he was born When it says of his death for our sake, at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. God was able to say, now, enough. This is how we understand the return of Jesus when he comes back. That that Jesus will finally say, enough. Enough of the pain, enough of the sorrow, enough of the sadness, enough of the sin. I am coming to make all things new. The scriptures give us a picture of a God who knows when to say enough. And what is tucked away in Lamentations is Lamentations chapter 4, verse 22. It says this, daughter Zion, daughter Zion, your punishment is complete. He will not lengthen your exile. That That is fresh water. Their suffering is attached to sin. Make no mistake about it. God said, go this way. They said, no. God said, you don't want me. Have it your way. So there is suffering attached to sin. Yet in the midst of that, in the midst of them experiencing the just consequences of their actions, God says, enough. That the suffering has an expiration date. And that is the hope when you have pain in your heart. And if you've never had pain that just feels like it's endless, that doesn't do it for you. It doesn't. But when you're confused and you're conflicted and you are angry and you are tired and you are frustrated and you just want to put your hand through a wall and withdraw and be isolated and cry your way into eternity, that does it for you. Because what you see is there's a God who sees and he says, enough. And if it's not enough now, it will be enough eventually. Lamentations is an invitation to know God as the God who sees our pain and steps in. But part of the way that we, we, we walk that path is by understanding the pattern, the pattern of lament in in the scriptures, it flows like this. There's a few, few people, some people say it's like three, some people say it's four, some people say it's five. I think there's essentially four components to the liturgy of lament. Um, the first is address. There's this address. The second is there's a complaint. The next is there's a plea. And then the last is there's trust. You have address, complaint, plea, and then trust. Each one of those are necessary components to produce healing in our hearts. And so we got to lean into them. First. Address. We see it in this book. Lamentations nine. Look. Look upon my affliction. For the enemy boast. Lamentations one eleven. All her people grown. He's talking about Jerusalem. Which while they search for bread. They have traded their precious belongings for food. In order that they would stay alive. Look. Look and see how I've become despised. Lamentations 120, Lord, see, Lord, see, see how I'm in distress. I'm churning within. My heart is broken for I've been very rebellious. Outside the sword takes the children. Inside there is death. At each of these statements, we have this clear address. The address is to look to God and ask God to look on this situation. In other words, it's holding God accountable. The address has, I need to see the manager vibes. You know, if you ever experienced bad customer service? This wasn't part of my story until I got married and then I married somebody and this is all they do. And I was like, amen, I need to be part of this too. But bad customer service, you're like, run me this manager. And we're going to have a conversation, and I'm going to need some free now and free later in Jesus' name. That's a good pathway. In other words, the address is saying, I am going to appeal to the person that needs to be held accountable and actually has the power to do something. Check with me. And what is powerful about the addresses in lament in the Bible is they are not just holding God accountable for the hurt. They are holding God accountable for the healing. And so at every turn, it's like, look what you did, but I'm going to keep coming back until you make it right. That's the address. It is, it is setting the trajectory and the tone of moving forward. God, I'm going to hold you accountable to both the hurt and the healing. From address, we get complaint. Lamentations 2.20 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. I so am actually having a conversation with Kyler in between services and and just then I read, went and read 2 Kings chapter 6, and I was like, yeah, top three saddest verses in the entire Bible, man. And here's what it says. It says, look, look, and consider to whom you have done this. Should women eat their own children? The infants they have nurtured. Should priests and prophets be killed in the Lord's sanctuary this is complaint but the thing about complaint and lament is, there's just like two aspects of it both are necessary but there seems to be a sequence to it as well there is this honest communication of what's wrong and in this honest communication of what's wrong the first part is this acknowledgement of brokenness things aren't right There is sin that's present, whether it's my personal sin or the sin of other people that is shaping this environment of brokenness. There is an acknowledgement of brokenness. But what we see sequentially is not only is there this acknowledgement of brokenness, there is this ownership of anguish. That's Lamentations 3.1. I am a man that has seen affliction. I'm not just talking about this detached experience of pain. I am personalizing it. It is doing stuff to me. The pain is shaping me. It's complaint. Um, Walter Brueggemann, theologian, a.k.a. that guy, I've learned to listen to him more as of late. Last six years, he's been given life, but he says this in talking about lament, and he he acknowledges that Su Chen Ra, it's a great book if you want to grab it, um, Prophetic Lament, also giving me life, but um, he acknowledges what happens in the loss of lament in the life of God's people. And part of what they say is, there's something wrong with American Christianity and you look at the songs that we sing, and there, there is no lament in our songs. But if you look at the Psalms in the Bible, more than half of the Psalms in the Bible are lament. More than half of God's poetry book is lament. But when we lose lament, something happens to us. He says this, one loss that results from the absence of lament is a loss of genuine covenant interaction because the second party to the covenant, that would be us people, has become voiceless or has a voice that is permitted only to speak only praise and doxology. Where lament is absent, covenant comes into being only as a celebration of joy and well-being. Or in political categories, the greater party, that would be God, is surrounded by subjects who are always yes men and yes women. Never is heard a discouraging word since such a celebrative, consenting silence does not square with reality. Covenant minus lament is finally a practice of denial, cover up, and pretense which sanctions social control. Did you see that? Essentially, what he's saying is, when you, when you divorce or you strip lament from your relationship with God, all that's left is inauthenticity. And so what complaint teaches us is that God doesn't want an edited version of us. God doesn't want some edited version of you, you know? We're like, I gotta, I gotta clean up how angry I actually am. How hurt I really am. I need to raindrops and roses, sugar plum fairies, my pain. God doesn't want an edited version of our souls. And this type of complaint reminds us of that. Not only does he want, not want an edited version, he's not intimidated by the authentic version. Like, oh yeah, don't bring that to me. No, he's like, bring me. All of you. That's complaint. From complaint, we get to plea. The plea is everywhere. Come before you and deal with them. Lamentations 122. Lamentations 5. one. Lord, remember. Lamentations 5.21. Lord, bring us back to yourself. All of the pleas, when you track through the pattern of lament, are either, God, would you make it right? God, would you make me whole, or God, would you prove yourself to true? In other words, don't be a liar. Make it right. Make me whole. God, don't be a liar. That's the plea. It could, sh- it could be expressed in a lot of different ways, but that is a core plea. Make it right. Bring justice. Make me whole. Bring peace. Don't be a liar, because if you are, where else can I go? This is the plea. And here's 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 a stopping point for us. Some of us need to circle this address, complaint, plea wagon. We got to keep doing that. We got to keep doing that until God pulls us to a place where we actually with authenticity and humility and courage can go to this place, trust. Lamentations 3:21 through 22. It is the pivot. There are 64 verses of sorrow and sadness and descriptions of pain before you finally get to the pivot where he says, I call this to mind and I hope. The Lord's faithful love. In other words, he says, my hope is rooted in God's love. The word there is hesed, God's loyal love unending deep rich care and concern his love and he says my hope is not rooted in my ability my hope is rooted in god's character i am too fickle i am too frail but god is not he has acid faithful love what he what he, what, he, what he brings out is God's determination to love is greater than our ability to earn it or worthiness to receive it. And we just sit in that. Because that's the soil for trust to grow. But trust isn't denial, it's determination. Trust in pain is the determination to hope. End of chapter three. The Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion. You see that determination? I'm experiencing these things, but, but I'm determined to, to, to have confidence that God is not a liar. That's the pattern. Address, complaint, plea, and trust. And when we lean in there, God leads us towards wholeness. What's interesting is the way this book ends. Um, this book ends like an unfinished symphony. You know? Um, here's a, it, limitations 5, it reads this. Unless you have completely rejected us and are intensely angry with us. So it's like, God, remember, bring restoration unless... Unless you're mad. Unless we're actually rejected. It's like a dot, 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 dot. You know? And it's so like, oh, the humanity of that. Because that's how it feels in the midst of pain. Unless, dot, 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 dot. But where this ends for Jeremiah is not where it has to end for us. Because lament isn't just a window into our longings. Lament is a window into God's love. And the completion of lamentations is found with Jesus Christ. This is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a picture of a God who enters into sorrow and suffering. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment of our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Where this ends is anticipation for what next. And what God says is, our eyes, our eyes, when lament has its way in our lives when we actually lean into it in the midst of pain, our eyes, they go from inward to outward and upward and we look to God and we see a God who enters into human suffering. He actually enters in and all of the vivid descriptions that are expressed in Lamentations from chapter one to chapter two to chapter three, chapter four, chapter five are, 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 are but, but a smidget of what Jesus experienced on our behalf. To suffer for us. And then it leads us not just to stare, but to seek and experience Hebrews 4. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need in view of this man, Jesus, this savior, this priest who could sympathize with weakness, who has experienced pain and brokenness, who has experienced betrayal that is associated with church hurt, who has experienced abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I didn't do anything wrong. We see a God who experiences these things and has presence and power for us. And I don't know where you are in terms of your church hurt. I don't know if you're in the thick of it. I don't know if I've caused it. But what I know is there's a God who sees and offers this to us to lament and be led by lament to hope and healing. Would we let him have his way? Pray with me. Father, um, I just feel the weight of the weight of pain, man. We can't, we can't preach our way out of pain. It doesn't seem to be a way it works. But what's crazy is, it seems to be the case that we could sing our way out of pain because we share our heart. We say, God, here I am. And we are shouldered out of pain. Yes, the, the shoulders of other people, but really the spirit of the living God carrying us. So God, why, while I feel the weight of pain, God, I, I pray that if we feel that, we would just feel not just that weight, but we would feel your shoulders. We would feel your spirit. And with courageous humility, we would, we, would, we would write a lament. God, would we write a lament? Would we look at our present moment of pain and would we write a lament? Would we address you? Would we complain honestly? And would we make a plea? In God, in faith, would you bring us to trust? This we pray, your name, Jesus, amen.